You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. What is up, good people? Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. This one's really good. This one I've been wanting to do for quite some time, and I'm really stoked that I was able to make it happen. This one is with my new buddy, Chef Brian Sow. He plays guitar in a metalcore band called Lost Becomes. He's a huge gear nerd, but he's best known as a chef. And what is one of the other things we talk about on this podcast? It's food. So he was a perfect guy to have on. And we talk about the similarities between music and food. And it's just, it's it's a delight. This is a lot of fun. And I'm really excited that he came on and hung out with me for a while. I want to get right into it. And I don't have too much house cleaning, but I do want to shout out all of you and say happy Thanksgiving, if that is a thing that you celebrate. I know I do. I uh, am thankful for you. I'm thankful that you are taking the time to tune into this right now, and I really, really appreciate you, and I hope you you know that. It really means a lot that you would choose to spend your time listening to the stuff that I'm putting out. It seriously is kind of mind-blowing. So thank you very much. I hope you have a fantastic holiday. And if you are going to be doing any holiday shopping, if you could please check out the links, tonemob.com slash sweetwater or tonemob.com slash reverb. If you're going to be doing anything on either of those platforms, clicking those links before you do that really helps me out quite a lot. It really, 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 truly does. And if you're going to be shopping there anyway, I would appreciate the old click. All right, let's get into this episode. I don't want to take up even more of your time. So let's do this thing. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Chef Brian Sow. This is the first time we've had an actual chef on that I'm aware of. And uh, we talk about food enough that it seems long overdue. So this is going to be sick. I'm excited to have you. My goodness. I am honored to be the first chef on Tone Mob. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like that should have happened somehow, you know, before now, episode two, whatever this is. But hey, 
You know, if we're going to do it, we might as well do it right. I'm pretty sure with the amount of musicians you've had on this show, one of them had has, or mul multiple, of, uh, many of them, I should say, have some kind of kitchen experience. Um, it seems like those two worlds go hand in hand a lot. So I, I, I maybe I'm the first chef, but I'm pretty sure you've had plenty of cooks. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the music world and the food world have a weird amount of overlap that I would not have assumed. Uh, it's, I mean, a lot of listeners I know like work in kitchens. I've met people here in Portland that, you know, are running restaurants and I listen to your show. I'm like, ah, oh, I just didn't realize there was so much overlap between the two. Do you have any insight onto why that might be? Uh, I think they're both, uh, artistic mediums. Um, I think, uh, they both make you suffer a lot to get what, <laughs> what you need out of it. <laughs> and, um, I, I also, I, I think that's, I think the main thing is that they're both artistic mediums. I mean, there hasn't mm -hmm. been a kitchen I've worked in where there wasn't at least one other gear nerd or one, not okay. necessarily gear nerd, but one other good musician, um, mm -hmm. whether it's front of the house or back of the house, there's always going to be one or two within the, within the, the establishment. I think another similarity is that it's, they're both one of the, uh, most difficult ways to make a living. Yes. <laughs> I think that's another really close. So similarity. the people who do both are really not doing themselves any favors at all. <laughs> not at all. So let's get your uh, let's let's get your backstory. I'm sure you know a lot of the listeners may ha may have followed you since you've been doing so much content with musicians. But let's get your whole your whole backstory. You know, I obviously you play in a band now, Lost Becomes, which is great, and uh, Thank you. you know that's probably seemingly somewhat more relevant to the outside from the outside looking into this podcast. But uh, the diehard listeners know the amount we talk about food on this show. It actually, uh, it goes both ways. So let's start with your backstory and, uh, both musical and culinary and we can, sure, we can go from there. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very long story. I don't know how many, how much time you have, but the abbreviated version is, uh, I've been playing guitar longer than I've been a chef. I've been playing guitar since I was 13 years old. I'm 37 now. Uh, and I got into, you know, the professional food, business uh when i was 20 about 20 years old so i've been playing guitar for a significantly longer time than i have been a chef or cooking uh, professionally um so music was just something i always did uh it's, it's something that i'll never stop doing no matter how old i get or how busy i get it'll always i'll always be involved in it in some capacity um you know, as far as like my mu music credits go, you know, I always played in local bands. Um, my first notable band was a band in Beijing, China, where I lived for six years. And uh, that band was called Hollow. And though not, you know, commercially successful or known outside of the, the Chinese metal scene, uh, we are the first independent touring metal band uh, of the country. And we kind of wow. started the touring culture because prior to that, unless you were a huge act that could afford plane tickets and stuff like that uh, from city to city, uh, there was really no way to tour. You know, you can't rent a van or hop into a van and drive from place to place. So we did it all 
by carrying our equipment on our backs and taking the trains, the high-speed rail from town to town. And uh, for myself, the guitar player and the singer and the bass player wasn't so bad. It was our poor drummer that really <laughs> had it bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, The vocalist, wow. of course, was being helpful and helped carry some of it. But um, you, you can just kind of form a picture in your head already. Uh, it, it was it was uh, really tough, but also a lot of fun. And you know, like I said, we kind of started that culture after our band did that. Um, but uh, I didn't really see a future for myself living in uh, mainland China at the time. I kind of saw the writing in, uh, on the wall a long time ago, so I came back to the states and uh, I took a summer job as a dishwasher in a pastry factory. And here we are today. I just stuck with it for, you know, uh, 17 years now. And um, just, I always say I'm not very smart. I'm just very stubborn. So I, I just never gave up on the industry, no matter how many times I, I really did want to. And I'm very glad I didn't because because of the because of the culinary industry, it's really um, given me everything I have today, plus, you know, my musical endeavors. Mm hmm. Yeah. Now what you're getting ready to open your own place there in New York City. Is yes. That correct? Yes. So uh, I'm getting ready to open up a sandwich shop in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We're aiming for early next year. I don't want to reveal the uh, projected opening date just yet. But uh, all I can say is it's a project I've been working on for a long time. Um, this will be my first restaurant I'm opening on my own. Uh, in, I would say, seven years or around that wow. ballpark. Last time I owned a restaurant, massive failure, but also one of the best lessons of my career, of my life. Um, but I, I vowed at that, not vowed, but I just told myself I would never own my own restaurant again. But here we are all these years later and <laughs> the right opportunity with the right people presented itself. And... Um, I decided to go for it again. So if you don't mind, can you share that uh, those lessons or lesson from that first fa uh, failed restaurant? Oh, sure. Or, sure. And I does mean, that apply to creative businesses in general? Absolutely. I guess 100%. You know, it, it can be applied to any... Um, any uh, pursuit in, in anyone's life. So I think first and foremost was I was not humble. You know, I was young and I thought I knew everything. Um, and I just did not take advice very well. But also, um, even if I took that advice, I don't think I was mature enough to apply it. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the main thing I took away from it was like surrendering myself to the circumstances at hand and kind of understanding like there are, yeah, there are many things that are out of your control. So don't waste your time stressing out on things you can't control and, you know, um, work on the things that you can. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, number one, being humble. Number two, not overstressing yourself about things that you can't control. And then finally, um, I think, I really understood after the closing of that business and going into six figures of debt is um, don't rush into things. You know, things like everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. Like that's mm -hmm. exactly why we're exactly where we are at this very moment, right? Um, and if you try to rush things too much or you uh, push against the grain a little bit too much, um, I think, I, I think 
the results of that you ultimately won't be prepared for, as opposed to, uh, I'm not saying like take, take it easy and take your time with things. All I'm saying is that um, I think most people know in their gut when they know when they're getting into something, if they can hand, actually handle that situation. Right, right. right. And um, that's something I really learned to embrace was take my time, observe the situation. If the, if the circumstances are right for me, then things will come together. And if they don't, no sweat off my back. You know, I still got plenty of things to keep me busy. Mm -hmm. uh, and that <laughs> mindset true. has helped it's, me a uh, lot. We tend to uh, make things uh, this do or die situation in our brains, right? When in reality, most of the time, if you fail, it's not really like, it's not over. Right. You know, it's not, the. it feels like it in that moment, but really like I've screwed up and failed at a lot of things and you just kind of have to go, well, what did I learn from that versus, you know, spiraling out of control and like, I can't do anything. It's like, well, you couldn't do that thing. There's yeah. something else you can do though. Ab and absolutely. it's important to, you know, just acknowledge that you, you know, not everyone is good at everything, but you are good at something and you can move on from there and try to help others and, uh, you know, communicate those things. So it's cool that you're actually able to look at that and go like, man, that's, that's did not work, but here's what I can, you know, apply moving forward. Yes. A lot of people have a hard time with that. Yeah. hundred percent. That ties in a lot to the first point and being humble and, um, to add to that first point, uh, you know, you don't like when you're humble, um, you also realize, you know, tying into being humble, you also realize how insignificant you are at the end mm -hmm. of the day in the grand scheme of things. So things will move on and carry on without you. Right. Like, <laughs> yes. uh, and I don't mean to say that in a grim way. Like, I hope no one takes that too literally and like does anything harmful to themselves. The point I'm making is that, um, you know, what you may find completely devastating to yourself, uh, if you really think about it in the big picture, that it'll pass, you know, yeah. w whether it's six figures of, of debt or even like if you were to lose a limb, worst case scenario, right? Like, you know, in most in <laughs> most countries these days, there's enough medical technology that there's probably some way like your life is going to change undoubtedly. Not that I've ever lost a limb before, but there are ways to move on with your life past that point, right? And I don't, um, you know, maybe that's a terrible example, but all I'm saying is uh, when you realize how insignificant you are in, in the grand scheme of things that, you know, how much the the things you're worrying yourself about, uh, how, how little they really are, then it, it's almost like a it, it's freeing. It like releases you from um, a lot of other tensions and stresses that, uh, you know, may unnecessarily be holding you back. I mean, it's not the worst example. I have my limbs, but I did lose an eye. Oh, and uh, really? that, that wasn't great. <laughs> I didn't enjoy that process at all. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not the worst thing that could have happened to me either. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I have a hard time catching uh, catching fastballs these days, but you know, like I can do pretty much everything else. So it, it's it's not I'm not gonna I'm not sitting here and saying I I don't miss my eye on a regular basis because I do, but it also wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me. As weird as that may sound to somebody, it, it just wasn't. 
you know. There you go. There you go. So I I use this missing limb uh, example, and I'm I'm speaking to someone who has real world experience. Yeah, exactly. Keep your uh, grinders out of your eye, everybody. It's not a good thing. <laughs> Don't do it. Uh, but yeah, so when you were like, I imagine when you were starting that first restaurant, and probably this applies now as well, is it difficult to find that balance like with your band and trying to get this business up and running and personal life? How do you manage to juggle all of that? So, uh, I mean, back then I didn't have any balance. I literally worked seven days a week, probably 12 hours a day for maybe six months straight when the restaurant first opened, anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day. So uh, there was no balance in that scenario. And at that, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, was working with me at that restaurant. So like we got to see each other, but it was funny. Like we saw each other so much, we didn't really talk much not in a bad right. <laughs> way but it's just like you, you said everything you needed to say through a 12 to 16 hour day of work right um nowadays uh so i am juggling a lot uh, and i only feel like recently i'm starting to get a grasp onto things so i have the sandwich shop project which the sandwich shop is not open yet but um, you know, it is keeping me very busy. You know, we're in a design phase. Now we're going into the build-out phase after we get our uh, build-out permits from the building department. I also have Sandwich Sunday, which is a YouTube show I do weekly. You know, that's that's in its in itself is like a full-time job. And um, I, some people may not agree with this, but my social media, like I manage, you know, multiple social media platforms on my own. And that in itself is, you know, a couple hours a day uh, taking care of that. Then I still have to be a dad, and I also, um, you know, pretty much for the most part, manage my band Lost Becomes. And when I first started these projects, you know, when you first start the project, there's nothing, there's there's no groundwork built yet, right? So you're you're busy, but it's on your own terms. And now all these things have become animals of their own, and they they have life to them, and they need management. So um, I just I started delegating. You know, mm -hmm. uh, my bandmates are great about being helpful and managing the managing the social media streams. And now all I have to do is the content creation. So all the little video clips that you see, all the graphics you see, I generate those. Whereas before, when the band first started, I didn't. You know, I did all that on my own before I farmed it out to everyone in the band. Um, same thing with my sandwich shop stuff. You know, I made sure within budget that I can bring on my sous chef early, and we get together once a week, and we R and D all you know R and D all the sandwich sandwich combinations, take very accurate recipes, make sure we have very accurate um, costing forms done, so that we know okay we're using exactly twenty cents of this and forty cents of that, and it's four ounces of this and that. You know. Um, mm -hmm. I just made sure to put together a team and trust people and delegate the work out. Now, for my YouTube show, um, you know, full uh, disclosure, and uh, like I don't profit off of that, and I do pay an editor to take care of the show, uh, to take care of the editing duties of the show, and that comes out of my own pocket. And today, I I'm able to afford that, um, and you know, dedicate a small budget out of my personal income for an editor. 
But when the show first started, I did everything from A to Z. But now this thing has a life of its own. It's starting to develop a following. I just got monetized. Like I know that I'm on my way and I look at it now as an investment. But if I want to do the show to the best of its ability, then I have to be willing to trust people who can, quote unquote, do the job better than me. Like sometimes my editor for Sandwich mm -hmm. Sunday does things that I don't always agree with. But I understand why he does it. And at the end of the day, him doing and at the end of the day, as a whole, it's still better than anything I could edit together myself. But um, I know that my time is much better served working on other things than sitting in front of the computer and doing editing. I know I can do it and I know it would, quote unquote, save me money. But if I wasn't freed up from that time of editing, then I wouldn't be able to, for example, uh, create a relationship with the Heatnist right now. And now my menu at the sandwich shop is going to be utilizing a few of their sauces on my menu. And of course, that's a lot of great synergy. And if I didn't open up that time for myself, then I may have not been able to take those meetings and do the tastings and all that type of stuff. So mm -hmm. I've slowly learned to let go and allow other people to take upon the responsibility because if you have the right people and you give them the responsibility and if their mind is in the right place they will take that responsibility and not only run with it but maybe even do a better job than you that that is huge and that's something that i think a lot of business owners struggle with especially when you're you know starting out solo and you're used to doing everything yourself one of the biggest things is realizing that you have strengths in certain areas that you should be applying those strengths to. And that may not be the one I run into all the time is building pedals. You know, right. there there's a lot of pedal builders that have to do everything in the beginning and they get to a point where they think to themselves, oh, I can't afford to have somebody building this for me. And while that might be true for a while, they will eventually grow to a point where they can't afford not to have somebody building that for them. Yeah. Because they need to focus on dealer relations, design work, you know, anything else that they may have a strength in that isn't necessarily best utilized when they're sitting down and soldering all day. You know, it's a, it's a tough balance. hundred really percent. You know, um, I love that you brought up that example because one example my investor gave me that his his father told him, which kind of changed my life. He said, um, you know, my investor works in tech and when early in the early days of his business, he was debating whether he should hire on an engineer or not. And, you know, it would be like a 50K a year salary position, you know, and my investor now is wildly successful and, and, you know, very wealthy. But at that time, he was just starting out and he was debating whether or not to pull the trigger on this. And his father told him, he said, okay, well, you know, if you take a step back, the world of tech makes this much money, right? It's this huge amount throughout <laughs> the world. And if you can't take 50 grand of that out of the billions of dollars that this <laughs> business generates and you can't pay someone's salary 50K a year, then you're doing something wrong. Right. And basically what that boils down to is like trust in your own ability to make it work, right? Usually what we're up against, you know, what we're on the fence about is like, do I actually do this? Like, am I able to do it? Like, no, don't doubt yourself. You you know if you're you're ready for it or not. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, that's, that's kind of that, like I said, that's kind of changed my life. And, um, uh, as I start to delegate the workout, I'm finding myself accomplishing a lot more things that are adding to the big picture. Yeah. You got to let people do what they're good at. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Your editor is, like you said, better at editing than you. So let him edit. You right. know? <laughs> let him do the thing. Exactly. Like, let people play into their strengths. And then what I've found is you'll probably be surprised. You'll be like, wow, this isn't only like, 20% better than what I could do. This is like 100% better than what I could do on my own. And I let this person handle it. And I, you know, took that phone call I needed to take, whatever whatever the case may be. It's just a really difficult thing to learn. It's not something that I understood from the jump either. So it's a, it's, it's a very, very challenging thing for any small business owner to go through, but it's an important lesson, I think. And, and anyone listening who's like, uh, anyone listening right now who's still on the fence about pulling that trigger, I'm just going to say it straight up. Like then if you're st- after hearing all these examples we gave you and you're still on the fence about it, then my friend, you are not ready. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you, you know, if you're ready or not, you know? Uh, so if you're still doubting yourself, then you're not ready. You probably still have some more work to do on your own, on your, you know, by yourself and developing things. Um, but you will know when you feel like you're drowning and like, if I don't offload some of this work to somebody else, then now, um, now things will start to actually dip, you know, productivity mm-hmm. will actually dip rather than increase. Yeah. Yep. So kind of going back a little bit, let's talk about sandwich Sundays because sure. I love the concept. That's where I first saw you. And then like, where did where did you come up with that? And did you have the goal of, like, building a YouTube channel? Or is this just something you wanted to try and see what happened? So, yes, I've wanted to do a YouTube channel for a long time. I would say, like, for the last six, seven years. Around the time when my restaurant was closing was when I really got into YouTube. And I think that's fair to say for a lot of people. I think seven, eight years ago is when YouTube really started hitting its stride, right? Give or take. Y- yeah. So I watched a lot of, and the stuff that I like to watch was a lot of gear stuff. So um, Ola England, Fluff, uh, who else? Rob Chapman, like Andertons, all that. That was like my favorite stuff to watch um, mm-hmm. because I was a gear nerd and I wanted to be a gear channel. And I, if I, th- I, I think there are still some YouTube videos up on my channel right now of me doing some gear review stuff. And then I quickly realized when I did those videos, I was like, oh, I don't want to be a gear review channel. I just want the gear. Like, I just want to play right. the gear. <laughs> but it's it did set off a, 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 turned on a light bulb in my mind because ever since I was young, I always wanted to be in show business, but my parents never allowed me to be. They always shot that down that idea a lot. Um, you know, my parents always stressed be a doctor, a lawyer, like many parents wish for their children, right? Um, None of that happened, obviously. I ended up becoming a chef. But uh, um, so I I never pursued that. But then I quickly realized that, wow, you know, with the power of a phone, the internet, and this platform called YouTube, you're making your own television show. Um, and it's just about doing it. So I don't know if these videos are still on my channel or if I took them down, but I started doing these little comedy skits 
And then I, you know, would I would just make things here and there and upload them sporadically and kind of get my feet wet. It was all filmed with an iPhone and a Zoom H1 with a lavalier mic for audio. And I was using iMovie. I was using iMovie up until like a year ago. You know, I only recently mm-hmm. upgraded to Premiere Pro. Um, so it was always something I wanted to do. It wasn't until the, you know, the big C happened. I, I know that word like messes up algorithms and stuff like that, supposedly. So the big C happened uh-huh, and okay. um, I was stuck at home like many other people. And I, over the years, slowly had accumulated this knowledge of how to edit video and that whole process. And I learned that. Um, you have to schedule things out and be organized and all that stuff. So I kind of felt like, all right, now I have the time to actually like put everything together and tr- really try to do a, a weekly show. So the first show I did on YouTube was a show called I Tried So You Don't Have To, um, which is a fast food review show. And all it was was a talking head video, and I would talk into my iPhone. I would use the a lavalier mic and just talk fast food (laughs) and it was a very easy video to produce and i was able to do put out one video a week and i was doing it consistently and i just my mindset was i'm not gonna get you know it wasn't i'm gonna get big off of this and of course i'd be happy if i got good views but my goal was like let me just get into the swing of things and see where this goes so eventually i got into a rhythm and then i started you know um thinking to myself, okay, well, I don't want to keep eating fast food every week because I genuinely don't like it. Um, but I also don't like talking generally. It's not who true to who I am. I, I should talk, but it's not, I don't like to do it in a negative connotation for the sake of talking, you know, like I like okay. to talk with friends and, you know, rag on them a little bit, but that's about the, about it for me. So, um, I said, you know, I'm a chef, like, so what people should be saying is me cooking something. And at the time, uh, before the big C happened, I was already planning to do this sandwich shop. So I was like, all right, well, this sandwich shop is definitely not going to open anytime soon. But, you know, I think it would be very productive if I essentially recorded the R&D process. And that's more or less what Sandwich Sunday was, was like a vehicle for me to start promoting myself as the sandwich guy. It was very intentional that I'm the sandwich guy now. You know, most people don't want to tag or label on themselves, but I was Mm -hmm. like, my ultimate goal is two or three years from now, I have a sandwich shop. So like, how's it going? You know, like it it can't hurt me if I'm putting out content weekly surrounding, you know, around sandwiches leading up to the opening of the shop. And um, that's exactly where Sandwich Sunday came from. And I thought, okay, well, how do I increase the SEO? How do I, um, you know, utilize all these, you know, like how how do I uh, promote the the show in the best way possible? All right, let me incorporate guests. And over the years of whining and dining a lot of people, I've made a lot of amazing friends. So I called up a lot of friends. Hey, you want a signature sandwich? And nine out of 10 always say yes. Um, Who says no to that? Yeah, exactly. Who says no to that? <laughs> so, you know, I like Fluff, you know, the guy that inspired me to do YouTube in the first place, he was like, I think he was the first episode. Like, to me, it was almost symbolic that his sandwich would be the first episode of Sandwich Sunday because with Sandwich Sunday and, you know, like, uh, make no mistake about it, Sandwich Sunday is not a huge show by any means, but I knew that that was, I knew all the 
ingredients in the soup, so to speak, were starting to taste good, you know, was starting to come together. So yeah, mm-hmm. Fluff was the first episode and I just continued to hit up my friends. And today was one of the first episodes I filmed that doesn't have a guest or doesn't use a questionnaire. Um, I should I, I should have mentioned this much earlier, but Sandwich Sunday, the premise has been, you know, I make awesome sandwich combinations inspired by the most unlikely of people. But today I filmed a Sandwich Sunday inspired by pumpkin spice. You know, now's, now's, <laughs> now's the time for pumpkin spice, right? And everyone normally talks it, but I was like, well, what if I literally took pumpkin and literal spice and mm-hmm. made a sandwich out of that? And I have to say it was pretty fucking delicious. Hot sauce <laughs> was provided by Heatness, by the way. So... Things are constantly evolving, and that was an extremely long answer to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's good because you actually highlighted some stuff that I I wanted to ask you. I wasn't sure, you know, if it was a chicken or the egg situation. You know, did the sandwich Sunday happen first? Did the restaurant idea happen first? But you brought up a really good point. You know, one thing that I have experienced with this show is like I'm a gear guy. I talk to guitar people about guitar stuff and I love pedals and blah, 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 blah. And occasionally listeners will reach out and say, okay, can I get some merch? Like, and I've had merch in the past and I still have a little bit here and there, but people largely don't buy it. It's Mm -hmm. not, that's not really what they're interested in. But the, as soon as I do a pedal collaboration with a company, oh, that goes great. That those, those always go fantastic. So that was a lesson to me early on. It's like also with bands or musicians or whatever your creative endeavor might be, make sure you know who you're speaking to. Right. Don't try to sell, you know, guitar players pencils. They don't care. Right. You know, like it's it's not going to work. So by you setting yourself up as the sandwich guy, before we ever even spoke, I was like, next time I'm in New, I'm in New York City, I know where I'm going. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> like exactly. I'm, I'm going to be going to Brian's shop. Yeah. Like that's just going to happen next time I'm there. And I'm sure there are thousands of people that feel exactly the same way. And it's a brilliant positioning that I think a lot of people miss, whether they're talking about music, art, food, whatever it is. I think sometimes people, they try to just do the general band thing and not they don't pay attention to the type of people they're actually speaking to and what they might respond to. Right. I think that's really smart. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this... The saying is so cliche, lean into your strengths, but I think people don't take it literally. Like, you mm-hmm. literally need to lean into your strengths, and that's where the realization for me to do a cooking show came into play was, I'm a professional chef. I've been doing this for a long time. I've worked in, you know, really, re- really famous and reputable places. I've been on television. Like, people don't want to see me eating fast food. But right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't regret that because... I don't regret it at all because I I knew that was a show I can do consistently and that was key. You know, another thing is you just have to take the dive into it if you want to start doing something, but realize that it's okay to change and pivot as long as you're staying in the general direction. You may zigzag a little and that's exactly what it was for me. I started the fast food review show because number one, everyone knows what fast food is, but number two, again, it was something I knew I could do consistently. And after I gained the confidence of editing and posting, because you edit the episode, you still have an hour of like posting, creating titles and thumbnails and all kinds of (laughs) bullshit 
that like I'm like I just want to make a YouTube show. How come I can't just edit it and then everything magically <laughs> appears? No, that's not how it works at all. And then you have to spend time putting it on. There's so many little things that surround it, and I knew after running so many businesses that it's you know the killer is not the big picture. You know, like anyone can open up the big restaurant. It's like where do you store the garbage after a right. long night? <laughs> you know where where do you like where do you keep all the dirty dishes? Is your dishwashing machine big enough? Did you order enough trash bags? Is there any band-aids in the first aid kit? Those are the things that are going to kill you. And guess what? You don't know it until you start. Mm-hmm. So. And it's that way with everything. Yep. Nothing is as simple as it looks from the outside, except for maybe, I don't know. Actually, I can't even think of one. I was going to say maybe winning the lottery is as easy as it looks from the outside. But even then, most people win have to buy 400 tickets before they, you know, before they even win a dollar if they win anything ever. Well, so like, I don't think anything's as easy as it looks. Nothing know, is easy outside as it looks. In. I mean, you, you look at any f- successful, famous person, you know, like you're, you know, they were, they're an overnight success to you because you're seeing them in their in the height of their fame and their success, but you didn't see the big story. Like you don't know how, where they started as a child and, you know, the trials and tribulations that they went through leading up to that moment. And even going to, you know, even using the example of a lotto ticket winner, you know, I mean, how many times have you heard the stories, you know, watch 60 minutes or something like that, or some vice piece, I won the lottery and now I'm more broke than ever because, you know, all of a sudden they have like a hundred million dollars and they set themselves up to live a lifestyle of someone you know, who spends a hundred million dollars a year. And before you know it, all your money's gone because yeah, sure. You won a hundred million dollars, but it doesn't mean that you can sustain, sustain a $10 million house for the next 20, 30 years. Do you make enough Mm -mm. income to sustain that? Right. That's just, again, it's all the little things that you don't think about that are going to come back to bite you in the end later. You you pointed out a, a good thing. I was thinking about, I remember when Chris Stapleton started getting huge. Uh, he won Best New Artist at uh, some award show. And I remember thinking, because I'd followed his career kind of before that a little bit, not to try to be hipster or anything, but I definitely had like had heard of him before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, pretty sure this guy's been like hustling and writing songs and touring for like 15 years. Like, wh- what? how is that a new artist? You know, it's such a weird category. They're always like Best New Artist. I'm like, that person's been doing it for like 10 years. Yeah. What are you talking about, new artists? This doesn't make any sense yeah. at all. And that's the way it is with everything. There's very few people that just wake up successful. Yeah. It just doesn't really happen. I mean, listen, I've been uh, I've been cooking professionally for 17 years, and I'm only opening my second restaurant. When I say my second restaurant is, you know, something that where I'm liable for everything. I, you know, I get 100% of the reward along with 100% of the risk. You know, I've <laughs> opened many restaurants through my career, but... This is only my second one on my own, uh, and I have a 17-year-old career. You know, uh, so whenever whoever's listening, when you're um, when you're looking to pursue any type of business or develop something for yourself, it's it's a marathon, man. And and take your sweet time, you know, mm-hmm. take your sweet time and learn everything along the way. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So here's a question for you: How much? So Lost Becomes. Mm-hmm. When did that band start? And what are your goals for that 
this or that particular band versus the shop. The shop, obviously, you want to get it open, mm-hmm. have it be successful. It's pretty clear what you want to do there. Yes. But bands can go any number of ways. What is your idea there? Uh, this, unfortunately, for, uh, or not, maybe not unfortunately, but this is going to be another long answer, which is uh, my long game. Well, Lost Becomes started now at this point three years ago. Uh, as far as the world knows, you know, we put out our first single uh, Earl, I'm sorry, late 2020. Okay. Uh, so December of 2020 was our first single. So, you know, we're basically like in the public's eyes, a year old band. But Lost Becomes started as just a fun little get together of some friends and let's jam out. The bass player didn't know the drummer, the guy who just called me. And I, I just wanted a put together a, a band that plays a lot of chugga chugga riffs and have fun mm-hmm. on the weekends, you know, get my music bug out. And uh, it, it took a long time for us to find our sound. I would say like just five, six months of just random jam, not five, six months. I would say a couple months of just random jamming of all different types of styles. And we just landed upon, you know, this metal core sound that we are now metal core with hardcore tendency tendencies type of sound now that we're known for now and uh it was just meant to be this fun thing we we weren't expecting to do much with it maybe play some local shows and that would be it and everyone in the band you know would say would tell you the same thing but it wasn't until like we started really putting together a lot of songs we 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 really enjoyed writing music together but we also Mm -hmm. knew that you know like the songs aren't terrible, you know, like I'm not going to say they're great, great songs, but the songs are fun, I guess is what I is what I mean to say. So we're like, you know what, let's really like put some effort into this. And me being the type of guy that I am, you know, um, I'm a bit of a control, not, not so much these days, but at least then I was very much a control freak. I was also used to managing projects because again, I've run kitchens for so long. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put I'm going to take this as serious as I can without making it a full-time job type of thing. Like let me okay. let me really put in an honest effort into it. So, you know, we record, you know, we recorded a, a record at a decent studio, not decent, a very good studio, specifically Westfall Studios on Long Island. Um we took the time to make a video and we you know, we didn't we didn't rush to put it out. We we're like, let's get all our eggs in a basket first and then make a strategy after that. I just approached it exactly like I would a restaurant, right? Um, you don't open a restaurant and don't have your stoves installed, so so to speak, right? You don't open a restaurant and not have the food in the refrigerator ready to be cooked. So I was like, all right, let me get the video here. And now that I have the video, let me make a promo clip, one for a portrait orientation for Instagram story, one for <laughs> fate, optimized for, you know, like I just really took my time and I was like, oh, and I created checklists, you know, I need to do a photo shoot. And these are the type of photos we need. We need individuals. We need band shots. We need this. We need that. Uh, and all that stuff didn't happen right away. Like I said, I just kind of took my time and um, I looked at a lot of other uh, bands' Instagrams and their you know, Spotify playlists and the types of images they made. And I just kind of jotted little notes on my notes section of my cell phone. Mm-hmm. And created an, created an Excel spreadsheet, and when I had you know basically ninety percent of all the stuff together, I was like, okay, let's set a date. Set the date, and I had all the material sitting, organized in folders, ready to go. 
And um, that is how I've done every single up till now, off of an Excel sheet. There you go. <laughs> and uh, it's still how I like this latest, this next single, the next, we just put out a single called Healing. It's available on all streaming platforms. Um, the next video and single, I'm still going to manage the release of the single, but the video process is going to be the first one I probably don't do from A to Z just because I'm starting to get too busy and I've, um, you know, passed that project on to um, other members of the band. But yes, my answer to that question is I'm taking it as seriously as I possibly can take it without making it a full-time job. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you're doing a good job with it. I I think the band's awesome. Uh, you guys sound great. Your guitar sounds great. Thank you. Appreciate and since that. this is supposedly a, a guitar show, maybe uh, let's talk about your rig a little bit with it. What sure. Do you, what do you got going on? Uh, so we'll start with guitars, and I happen to have one right here. Hmm. So yeah. That. This is Sully. yes a Sully Conspiracy series uh, Alita guitar. That's my uh, Anthony Bourdain sticker over there. That's awesome. Fu dash tone bridge, full treatment. Um, I've been using Sully's for I think I've been using Sully's for about two years now. I found them um, at Nam. My buddy Randy stopped by their booth. He was friends with um, John, and I saw this one guitar, which is hanging over there, um, and I I just thought they were great. I, I I thought they were different. I always like to try to do something, use or try things that are a little different to kind of set myself apart from the crowd, so to speak. Like I didn't want to use a Les Paul or a Strat. I wanted kind of my own thing. And I just felt like those guitars had a, you know, they were very unique, but also the specs on them were all primo. So like stainless steel frets were standard, excuse me, glow in the dark side dots were standard, things like that. So um, for me, it, it just felt at home. And I, like I said, I've been using them for two, using Sully's guitars for two years. I own about four of them now um, and they're great. Yeah. So my main axes are Sully's. Nice. Um, and he used to do a podcast with my friend Paul Roney, who made that blue guitar back there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, do, I do know Sully did a podcast for quite some time, but I, I didn't realize. I, that's awesome. I didn't realize that uh, uh, the, his uh, podcasting mate was uh, a builder as well. That would make sense. Yeah. Though, but <laughs> yep. Yeah. The Very Luthierist cool. podcast. I think it's still available. I know they stopped a couple of years ago, but I'm pretty sure it's still available lots of stuff if you're interested in building guitars that's for the listeners but anyway how about that pedal board uh so pedal board so right now um so right now the rig i'm using is a fractal axe effects 3 rig but i have to say i'm pretty damn proud of my personal setup because i i geek over gear so so hard so i i'm t i'm totally gonna pull it out over here for you to see hang, hang on okay all right all right let's do it all right he's walking over He's going to uh, acquire the rig. Yeah. He'll be right back. Oh, man. Oh, oh boy. Ooh, that is clean. I may have to yell into the mic a little bit because I'm standing back. So, <clears throat> it's, an, it's a Fractal FC-12 that I mounted onto this 
pedal board that mm-hmm. has a top that connects straight onto the thing. So it's not like I have to put the pedal board in a bag and then pull out the pedal board. Like, yeah. it's all built in. So I just put this on the floor, take off the cover, and this this thing's good to go. So Good to go. It's a fractal. You got a Mission mission Wah there? Is that yeah, what that is? Yeah, or is that a, a Mission Expression pedal. Okay. Um, it's the Fractal FC12, which is their foot controller. But like I said, I'm a, I'm a geek about this stuff. So, like, all these cables are from BTPA. Mm-hmm. You know, all custom length, custom XLR. And it all goes out here. Ah, there we go. To these new trick jacks. got the side jacks. Side jacks. If I want to connect additional um, expression pedals, I can. Um, And it just makes setup and breakdown lightning fast. So Nice. Yeah, this is a a custom-made board I had made years ago that I use right now. And then... uh, Who made the board? I'm sorry? Who made the board? Uh, so uh, it's my buddy Brian Simonelli on Long Island. Um, I have the cover right here. Hang on. Oh wait, we got more. All right. I just realized the listeners aren't going to be able to see this, so they're hearing me struggle and bang around for like very little payoff. I've been describing it to them as you do, so it's all uh, right. So I mean, this is the the cover. Oh, Phantom. Yeah, Phantom. Phantom pedal boards. Yeah, Phantom yeah. pedal boards. Um, I don't think he's building or active right now, but I managed to get one made from him before uh, before he slowed down production. But yeah, this is uh, this is my main pedal board. Cool. I thought it looked familiar. Uh, Phantom, I remember seeing his work years ago when I was doing a lot more like resharing of stuff on Instagram. Like when I first started, I didn't really know how it worked. And I was like, I guess I will share cool gear mm-hmm. on here. And I remember Phantom was one of the first boards I shared just because it was like, man, this thing looks dope. Oh yeah. I don't have one, but I'll share his picture. Yeah. They're, uh, <laughs> they're pieces of art. They're really awesome. Handmade. You know, I mean, uh, Brian's a great guy. I haven't seen him in a long, long time, but um, I watched him. He's helped me Tolex, re-Tolex amps. And he's, yeah, he's great. Nice, yeah. nice. So, do you use the fractal setup uh, for convenience mostly, or is like that your thing? Or you, you have experience with tube amps, I'm sure. But of course, you did the whole backpacking thing, so I'm actually curious about that. Yeah. Too. So right now, I've always been leaned more towards the modeler's route, and I'll tell you why. Is when I lived in mainland China, um, like you couldn't find a Marshall or a a, a triple rectifier or everything was these like pv banded amps you know Mm -hmm. like at 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 the best clubs you would play at it had pv banded amps you know (laughs) so we we were not used to having good gear so you were better off using a pod into the pa type of deal Mm -hmm. so i from very early on was very used to using modelers um i love tube amps uh, I, you know, used to have several, uh, admittedly I've had to sell them off because I've gone broke a few times over the years and pursuing my, my restaurant closing and, you know, things right. like that. So, um, I just never went through the whole process of getting all my amps back, so to speak. But for me, the whole modeler thing still, uh, I think suits my needs the best. I tend to use a lot of effects 
And um, I, I just don't like hitting multiple switches on stage. You know, I like to kind of be immersed in the performance. So just one button, you know, that's kind of how I want to have it. But I also, I just, I like the flexibility of it. And I think modelers have come so far as so far, far. Yeah. As far as the tone goes, not to say though, that like, I don't like analog gear. Cause I do like, I have a whole pedal board over there. Um, you know, with, my old boss pedals, some JHS pedals, some, you know, a bunch of stuff. There's all kinds of pedals on there. Um, and actually, that's how Lost Becomes started. I was using an analog pedal board through an EVH5153 for mm. a long time. And um, it wasn't until, like, we kind of found our sound and I realized, oh, there's all these things I want to do with, like, stereo panning effects. Um, I like to, you know, I, I like to do that quite often. And, you know, like I said, delays and reverbs all on at the same time. I like to have the expression, like, I'll ha play one part where the first two bars are a straight dry tone and then I use a expression pedal and, you know, for the last two bars is this crazy whacked out sound. I do a lot of stuff like that. So, um, to pull that off with an analog board is is a lot of work and a lot of yeah. <laughs> pedal space. So that's another reason why uh, for this particular project, I went to uh, a fractal rig. Well, plus I imagine that most of the spots you're playing are in and around New York City, which, you know, lugging a half stack around the subway is not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I um I, I'm a little different in that I grew up with a mechanic for a father, so we always drove. Um ah, people gotcha. always thought I was nuts, but like my dad would literally be like, No, drive there rather than take the subway because I need you to road test this car for a customer. <laughs> you know? And sometimes the car would get stuck on the road as I'm on my way to meet my friends and stuff like that. And my dad'd be like, Great, now I know what the problem is, you know? Um, so I would I always drove, but I um yeah, I always use backline gear. Like I, I'm fine with using the house cabs and stuff like that. But that was another thing was like, sometimes the amps at, you know, at, at, at the venues were just in absolute condition. So by using something like a fractal rig, I guess, you know, it, it's the same as bringing your own head, but all the effects and everything is in this one box. And I have a power amp that I can plug into the house cab and some cabs sound better than others. But for the most part, I'm able to uh, achieve the tone that I'm looking for. And more times than not, um, you know, I usually maybe not necessarily get compliments about the music, but I always get compliments about my tone. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, I can relate to that. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were recording, were you using the fractal as well, or did you bust out the old pedal board and oh, no. uh, get nerdy so with that? So for the effects stuff, we used the fractal because it was all programmed already um but for the tones is all amps all analog you know nice. mic good old mic'd up amps you know at, at the if if i'm at a studio like and i'm paying for this studio time you bet your ass i'm gonna use that diesel or you know <laughs> that uh friedman that they have there you know i want i want it all <laughs> yeah so. oh yes oh yes yeah, so. yeah it's it's a it's kind of a weird thing because i i've been getting more into the digital side of things mostly for when I'm just doing content for clients or like little little quick clips for Instagram here and there, mm -hmm. I've been using the STL tones uh, plugins, uh, just honestly out of convenience. Obviously, I have 
you know, a good space and I can mic amps and I can do all that. And I do that for my, for my own music because I find it way more inspirational to play mm -hmm. through that stuff. But when I'm just quote unquote working, I'm kind of like, well, I got to do this in a way that's as efficient as possible. And honestly, it sounds really good. Like it yeah. does. I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more about the convenience thing. There's, um, you know, you also don't want something to stifle your creative process. So, you know, most of us have our computers on all the time anyway. Most of us have some kind of like focus right interface of some sort, and we can easily plug in and just get going very quickly. You know, like you don't have to think too much about it. And it sounds decent, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that part. But I got to tell you, like, um, there's nothing like playing through a, a piece of analog gear that gets gets my juices flowing, so to speak. You know, it gets me inspired. Like, uh, JHS just put out the new Pack Rat pedal. And, like, yeah. one of my all-time favorite tones is the obituary tone, which uses, mm -hmm. you know, like, it's built on a rat. You know, that's one totally. of my favorite tones of all time. And I just found myself, like you know, going googly-eyed over this thing. And I, you just reminded me I need to order one. But like, you know, I'm so excited to play some obituary riffs, you know, start writing some <laughs> obituary style riffs with this pedal and put it through my own rig. So I still find, you know, analog gear hugely inspirational. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I think that's the magic of it, really. I mean, I talk to Brian Wampler about this all the time. There isn't really magic in it. But there kind of is, you know, when you know when you plug in and you get that feeling. Every guitar player knows it's like you hit just hit an open E and it's like, mm, <laughs> listen to that. Yes. Oh, geez, yes. listen to that. You know, yes. like we've all been there. Uh, it's a magical thing. It feels awesome. Dude, uh, the pinnacle distortion by Wampler is one of my favorite distorted tones. I use that pedal for a long time. Uh, with an old project of mine. That was like my main dirt tone. But oh, yeah. I, I also look at builders of analog gear and guitars. I look at them as as like, um, well, they are craftsmen, right? Mm -hmm. Anything that uses your hands and like a very specific touch to create something, be it taste or sound, um, th that requires a craftsman to know how uh, one thing affects the other you know, make a recipe for a usable product. And totally. There's something about that artistry that I massively respect out of anyone who does do it. And I think it's you know, one because, I, again, my father's a mechanic, so he always, my entire life, stressed the importance of having a skill that you can use with your hands. But um, yeah, it's 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 a it's an art form, and it's you know, unfortunately, seems to be like a dying art form. Um, not to say people who program zeros and ones aren't artists in their own right, but uh, having the tangible product in your hand, there's nothing that can replace that. 100%. Well, let's see. We're nearing the end of the main episode of the podcast, and I have a couple classic questions to sure. ask you. But before I do that, uh, this is where I like to give the guests an opportunity to, you know, Shout out uh, Uncle Bob or, uh, you know, plug anything they want to plug or or say whatever they want to say. If they have a message they want to get out to a few thousand people, now is uh, the time to do it. Awesome. Uh, so everyone definitely check out my YouTube show called Sandwich Sunday. I put out a new episode every Sunday. 
you know, awesome sandwich combinations inspired by the most unlikely people or places now, uh, now that the show's changing a little. Also, check out, if you like, uh, you know, the riffs, uh, I'm all about the riff, then check out my band, Lost Becomes. Uh, we're, you know, on social media, all streaming platforms. We put out several videos. Um, we just put out a new single called Healing with cameos from Jesse Leach of Killswitch Engage, of Ben Weinman from Dillinger Escape Plan, Tim Howley of nice. Born Autopsy. It's a huge video for us, also a lot of fun to make. Definitely check those out. And uh, yeah, follow me on my social medias at Chef Brian Sow, Brian spelt with an I. Sow spelled T as in Tom, S-A-O. Check it all out. All right, there we go. And the links for all that stuff will be in the show notes, everybody. So that'll be nice and easy for you. Cool. All right, let's get into the classic questions. So the first one is, what is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, uh, the BF2, which is... Oh, my man. Oh, man. That pedal is, there is some mojo in that thing. I, I first learned about it from Adam Jones of Tool, and I, I was just like, oh, that's the sound. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, yep. my God. Uh, and it is one of my most, it is one of the most inspirational pedals for me. I, there's just like no ba bad tone you can get out of that thing. It can get really like disgusting, gross, puking sounds to beautiful, sweeping, you know, airplane sounds. I, I just think Flanger is so underrated. Uh, it doesn't get enough love, but that pedal, man, BF2, Boss Flanger, the purple one. Check it out. Yep. Yeah, the BF2 is amazing. And, you know, I don't... I mean, this might this might cause uh, unintended effects, but it's one of the few that are available um, relatively affordably as far as vintage boss stuff goes. I have a silver screw black knob knob BF two that I got a couple years ago for like ninety bucks. You know, like it's it's, it's one of the it's not like a DM two where they they tend to cost quite a bit. Yeah, the BF two is still. Still relatively affordable, at least last I looked. Actually, so. you're, and it's also one of my favorites. You're so right because I remember picking one up and I was like, "Oh, these are really reasonably priced." And the one I have right now is a made in Japan one. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't. I don't remember what I paid for it, but I do distinctly remember saying to myself, "Oh, that's not bad at all." Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't even know what that sounds like. I'm just going to buy it because it's an old Boss pedal and I can afford <laughs> it. And I got it home and I was like, "Woo, this is great! Yep. This is one of my favorites." Yep. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Flanger doesn't get enough love. I love the I love through zero flangers too. Hmm. Uh Mr. Black Shepherd's End will blow your mind. It's pretty nuts. It's is, is really that... easy to use, but I've never heard another flanger like it. It's pretty, pretty bonkers. My friend Jack makes those and it's it's legit. I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm all about flangers. So once once this ends, I'm gonna ask you for the details on it because I, I may go pick it up right away. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Okay. Last question, and this one I'm super excited to talk to you because you would be what I would consider an expert in uh, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But what is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, you know, put me on the spot like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You and everybody else. Oh, it's, man. Everyone's got to go through the gauntlet. Uh, okay. I mean, my favorite slice right now as it stands is there's a place called La Industry literally like two blocks away from where my sandwich shop's going to be. But it's a relatively new pizza spot that opened up. And uh, uh, they have this fig slice, which has bacon and um, fig jam on it. And mm. dude, it is 
unreal. It is like, it is a slice I can have every single goddamn day. And it is <laughs> so good. Um, you know, has you know, you put a little bit of red chili flake on that, you are you are in heaven. Doesn't have tomato sauce, I should mention. So it's just cheese, oh. cheese bacon and fig jam, some basil, and um I put on a little red chili flake. My mind was totally blown. And it's normally I'm a I like the classics, but that slice is probably my favorite slice right now. Oh man, yeah. that sounds awesome. But since you are in New York City and you are a chef, where is your favorite like traditional NYC slice? What's your favorite? Uh, hands down, it's going to be Luigi's Pizza and also in Brooklyn by uh, mm -hmm. Sunset Park. Uh, it's a small mom and pop place. It's been the same guy that I've known this place for like 17 years because I found it accidentally one day after work at that first cooking job, that first kitchen job I ever did 17 years ago. And it's it's still owned and run by the same guy just, you know, a, a, a big old Italian dude who just loves to make pizza, does it day in and day out, and it still tastes exactly the same as I remember. And you know what that taste is, Blake? That taste is, is fucking awesome. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Man, and what I find so beautiful is that he's, like, he's really kind of blown up recently, which I find so awesome. Like, so much later in his life, he's finally getting that do um mm -hmm. for all that hard work that he's put behind it but yeah one of the best slices i've ever had one all of my, right. my personal favorite in new york city all right i'll put that on the list for next time mm -hmm. i I can't, I can't eat all the pizza that i want when i go there but i do try i try really hard <laughs> <laughs> luigi's in brooklyn as well as la industry it's almost like you know the the old and the new so luigi's is the old classic and la industry is you know Definitely more that brand new hipster vibe, but it's owned and operated by these young Italian guys, you know, and they just, they do a lot of cool stuff there. That's fantastic. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. And uh, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Awesome, this was a lot man. of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I think what you do is really fun and cool. And uh, yeah, till next time. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, everybody, for Brian, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you have it, folks. There you have it. Another episode in the can. Make sure you go check out all of Brian's stuff. The Sandwich Sunday stuff is especially fun. I really, really enjoy those episodes. Definitely check them out, but don't do it on an empty stomach. You will be starving. And if you want more of this conversation, we went further. There's a whole nother conversation that we and I think we went even a little bit wilder on for patrons of the show. So if you are over on Patreon, you can get extra content for just five bucks a month. You will get extra content every week beamed directly to your ears, and it's not available anywhere else. Well, I shouldn't say that. It is available on Apple as well. They have a subscribe function now where you can just click the subscribe button, and it's essentially the same thing. So if you are looking to support the show and you want extra stuff, those are the places. There are more platforms rolling out things like that. Spotify has teased it, and I'll let you know if those become available uh, if and when I have access to them. In the meantime, Patreon is probably the best spot. It's the one that seems to be the smoothest, but Apple is easy to sign up for, and you will get that extra content as well. So thank you so much to everybody who does do that. 
I can't tell you how much that means to me. And I seriously, seriously couldn't do it without everybody supporting. And I thank you all so much for that. So please share this with a friend. If you're not in a position where you can be a patron, at least tell people about it. Telling people about it is huge. It's why it exists. It's the only reason I get to keep publishing this stuff. So please share this with your favorite online guitar community. Anything that you think uh, will drive people to keep downloading this thing. That's what literally keeps the lights on. And I thank you all so much for that. Uh, One last little plug. And that is you should probably keep your eyes peeled on all the Tone Mob socials, uh, the text chat, the Facebook group, uh, Instagram, of course. There's something coming. There's something quite rad coming uh, with some good friends of mine in the gear industry that I am a part of. And I cannot wait to show everybody because it is awesome. Okay, that's enough plugging. I'll let you get to whatever else you're doing for the rest of the day. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll talk to you very soon. Have a good Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.